Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, every now and then, even though I know I shouldn't do this, I look at our reviews on iTunes, Mm -hmm. which usually are very different than our list or mail. You know, people on our list or mail send us, you know, fun stories, um, constructive criticism. We get all sorts of points of view. Words of encouragement. Words of encouragement. But, you know, on iTunes, if people don't like you, they just let you know. Yeah, Which pretty, is fine. They're pretty uh, straightforward. They don't hold back. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But I've noticed that in reading reviews, not just of our show, but other people's show, that if you want to get across the point that someone, a girl hosting a show, is not intelligent, you call her a sorority bimbo. It's like an immediate somehow classification of... Uh, lack of intelligence. Yeah, all you, it's kind of the legally blonde thing. All you care about are, are your shoes and your looks and you're just kind of talking out of well, we your... might, yeah, we might say like a few times. I mean, we know we do that. It's off the cuff, but yeah. if we say it a lot, it doesn't necessarily make worse than we're already bimbos. All right. So you, so you're saying that there is a negative stereotype about sorority women. Yeah, and their intelligence. And so then we started thinking about all these other stereotypes that are out there about sororities. And so we want to answer the question, do sororities get a bad rap? So Molly, I think the first thing that we we have to address is whether or not we were members of sororities. Okay, you go first. Molly, I was not. I was uh, what has sometimes been called a GDI or a gosh darned independent, although that's Usually the lighter term used. And did you find as a GDI, you had certain uh, perceptions of what the sororities were like? Coming from my 18-year-old mindset, I would say yes. I might not have had the most patience with it. I had a, I went to a very large college. There was a very lively Greek system, and I lived in the dorm my freshman year, and a lot of the girls um, living with me participated in Rush and it kind of drove me insane. So I, you know, I probably, I probably got off on the wrong foot with sororities. Okay. 
I myself was a member of a sorority, which usually surprises people when they hear that about me. Um, but I sort of started off with the same point of view that you did. I was not uh, planning on doing this when I went off to college, but just happened to find uh, girls that I really liked and got along with. And so I did it. I was probably not the most, uh, I was probably not the best member of the sorority. You were in the that social chair. I was, I was not social chair, but it was a really great opportunity for me to get to meet people I wouldn't have met otherwise and to do activities I would have never done otherwise. Um, but I will say I was out at dinner the other night with, uh, two of my friends who were also in the sorority and someone was asking us how we all knew each other. And rather than proudly proclaiming that we were sorority sisters, we said, well, we all went to college together mm-hmm. because I think that even though now I'm out of college and away from all those sort of stereotypes, I still was kind of afraid to say, or to to uh, open myself up to that sort of preconception of what a sorority girl was. Yeah. So even people who are inside the system sometimes have to deal with what the stereotype is. So let's dive right into it. Well, the interesting thing for me, because I'm coming from an outsider's perspective. I don't I didn't know much about sororities. I had plenty of friends who were involved in sororities. Um, I just wasn't. And uh the cool thing to me about how it all started was uh, it, the first secret society for women started in 1851 in Macon, Georgia, and that was the Adelphian Society, which is now Alpha Delta Pi. And what I like to learn about this is um, their, their activities in this first society were praying, singing, and writing and reciting poetry at their meetings. That was what they got together to do. Sounds wild. Sounds like just sort of a glorified coffee house in some ways. Yeah. Now, the reason why this is kind of cool is that these women started the Adelphian Society um, as a way for them to be able to have intellectual and social companionship with other women mm-hmm. because at the time colleges were mostly populated by men and there really wasn't much of an outlet for women to express their opinion and really uh, share their ideas and things like that. Yeah, it was sort of a, a, a means of support because they were the first women on campus. The men weren't treating them too nicely. It was a, a time to get together and just really let it all hang out. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Adelphian Society was followed very quickly by other societies. Uh, they started using the word sorority to describe these kind of societies in 1882. Um, and then in 1908, we had the first Greek organization for African-American women. And now those two are, are somewhat separated in terms of leadership. There are different Greek councils that oversee both of them. And then following that, there have been all sorts of sororities coming up to represent different cultural interests, like there's an Asian American sorority, there are service sororities. So now there's sort of different groupings for people of different backgrounds. Yeah. And I, I remember when uh, the last couple of years that I was at college, um, there were a number of Latina sororities mm-hmm. and fraternities that were just starting to take off as well. So it's kind of interesting how it's become a, a larger and more diverse type of thing, because I think when we're talking about whether or not sororities get a bad rap, uh, a lot of it kind of goes back to that idea of, um, you know, your very stereotypical white, upper class, very elitist organization. So yesterday, Kristen emailed me and she was like, isn't it cool that sorority started as these, uh, you know, female empowerment things in the midst of all this uh, male dominated university atmosphere? And now they're just segregated heterosexual mating clubs. And, uh, that's that, the GDI coming out in me, Molly. That was sorry. the point when I had to reveal to her that I actually had been a member of the so-called heterosexual mating clubs. But, you know, there's a lot of labels you can put on it that they are elitist, that it is racist, that it, 
fosters problems like alcohol abuse, date rape, poor body image and eating disorders. So we're going to go through all of these controversies one by one. I think that we should start out, Molly, with the this idea of whether or not sororities are are racist, because to me, that is kind of one of the strangest things about sororities, both white sororities, black sororities, Latino sororities. You know, they're all kind of racially divided, it seems like. You would choose to self-segregate yourself that way? It seems a little antiquated. There have been headlines about black women trying to join white sororities and facing discrimination. Uh, That was a famous case at University of Georgia saying that uh, sorority members are coming forward and saying that this one female had been rejected specifically because she was black. Mm-hmm. And then in 2007, uh, the Delta Zeta chapter at DePaul University uh, conducted a membership review, and they asked 22 women from membership because they were trying to, to, to get their numbers up, and they thought that these women were, were holding the sorority back. And they just happened to kick out uh, not only all minority members of the sorority, but all overweight members of the sorority as well, which caused a huge uproar. Right. And, you know, the national group said, oh, no, it was just, you know, we needed girls who really wanted to help us recruit girls. Yeah, the more active girls. It just happened that they were all the slender white ones. Yeah. Um, And then uh, even in black sororities, there have uh, been accusations of them using brown paper bag tests um, in the past. Uh, Like if, if if a girl was darker, if her skin tone was darker than a brown paper bag, they wouldn't let her in. Yeah. So appearance, obviously, a huge factor. And we often think about hazing. When you become a new member, do you get hazed? I think one of the most famous examples of hazing is that uh, you bring a marker with you to your meeting, and then the older ones will draw circles on all the places in which you should lose weight. So it brings about all these things. We have to be the right skin tone. You have to be the right size. Mm-hmm. You know, there are all these horror stories about the sorority girls lining up to throw up. Yeah. And I, I mean, I never saw any of this myself in my experience. Well, and, uh, and as far as hazing goes, we don't hear about hazing in sororities as much as we hear about fraternities because just from the anecdotal evidence that you hear from like the horror stories of, of girls being hazed in sororities, a lot of it is more psychological, Mm -hmm. uh, abuse than physical abuse that, that, fraternities are more notorious for, like you said, like making girls, um, pointing out girls areas of fat on their bodies and, and things like that. But, uh, there've also been accounts of, uh, girls forcing, uh, new members to binge drink or making them do degrading tasks or telling, making them tell painful secrets and, uh, and other other horrible things. Yeah, and it's something that I think that because it it lands in the newspaper so often because someone dies, schools are now very, very sensitive to the problem of hazing. This is the definition of hazing that's used by a lot of schools. It's an action taken or situation created as part of initiation to or continued membership in a student organization, which produces or could be expected to produce mental or physical discomfort, harm, stress, embarrassment, harassment, or ridicule. And so, like Kristen was saying, it's hard to point to, you know, something that just kind of is messing with your mind as opposed to being forced to to binge drink for five hours. But I do think that because it shows up in the headlines, 
it's just, you know, it's it's too sensitive for people to even consider doing it, some schools. Right. Um, although there has been, I think we should point out, um, even though we, we usually hear about, um, you know, the hazing gone wrong stories with fraternities, there was uh, two sorority pledges did die in 2002. They were students at California State University in Los Angeles, and they were pledging uh, the Delta Sigma Theta sorority, and they, they blindfolded the girls and took them down to the beach. And it didn't seem like they were really making them do anything that dangerous. They were having them like walk into the water, but then a huge wave came up and the two of the girls were um, kind of swept under and ended up drowning, which is completely tragic. But I think it also goes to show that, um, you know, it's not just a boys game, right? It's not just a boys game. And I think that's good to be aware of when you're going into a sorority situation um, to know that it might be a little bit more psychological. Um, but you know, in my experience, all of my new member education was about making new friends and team building. So, uh, like I said, I just think that it's something that schools are very sensitive about now. And I think that parents are sensitive about it. And to the point that I did have some sorority sisters who asked if there was going to be any hazing because it was getting a little, little tame for them. A little too boring. Um, which brings us pretty nicely into alcohol use. Um, that's something you often hear about in relation to hazing. And, uh, there's been a lot of studies about Greeks and alcohol use. And usually those studies will ask the question, do Greek organizations make a person drink more or do the people who want to drink a lot just join a Greek society because they know that they can drink a lot? So let's talk about alcohol. Well, we do know, and, um, this is, I'm citing this from a New York Times article, but there have also been other studies that have, um, come to the same conclusion. But Greek houses do have the highest rates of binge drinking on college campuses. Yes. Greeks, that makes sense. Greeks drink more frequently, more heavily. They show more alcohol dependence symptoms. Um, they're more likely to have abusive alcohol patterns. I'm getting this all from a study in the Psychology of Addictive Behaviors journal. Um, but like I said, is it correlation? Is it causation? We're not quite sure. And the study I read did go on to say that Greek status does not predict post-college heavy drinking. So it really does appear that people come in, want to have a good time in college, but aren't, you know, taking their toga parties out into the real world. Well, and to me, it would make sense that uh, people in a Greek house would drink more because let's say you're like me. You stayed in the dorm your freshman year. You're mostly surrounded by other people who are 18 and 19 years old. Whereas if you were to join a sorority, there's a greater chance that your big sister might be older or have some easier way of procuring alcohol. It just seems like you would have more older friends and more opportunities there for there to be alcohol around. I think that's somewhat true. I will say um, at the school I went to, we didn't have sorority houses. You really couldn't live with a sorority. But I understand that those who do, there are pretty strict rules about having alcohol in the house. So yes, you might be able to go out with people or go to a party where there's more alcohol. But I would say that I bet um, if you're in the house, you're probably not going to have a lot of access to the alcohol. Yeah. Uh, but maybe that's just my my rose-colored glasses spin on it, Kristen. But I do think that uh, the problem when you start bringing up alcohol, particularly for women, is if you get a lot of young, immature guys drunk, then they might start acting in an untoward manner. Yeah. Um, for college women, college-age women in general, um, drinking and boys is, are sometimes a bad 
a bad combination. Um, sexual assault on college campuses is a pretty rampant problem. There's a pretty common statistic out there that one in four college women are at least uh, um, victims of at least attempted sexual assault. And then when we start talking about the uh, the Greek system, uh, there's there's a book called Inside Greek You that came out a couple of years ago, and it's by Alan DeSantis. And from a survey that he did, um, he found that 70% of reported cases of gang rape occur, uh, occur at frat parties. And the important thing there is reported cases. A lot of a lot of sexual assault that goes on on college campuses also goes unreported. Um, and then he also found that almost half of Sorority women experience some form of sexual co- coercion and 24% experienced attempted rape and then 17% were victims of completed rape. Yikes. So those are pretty terrifying statistics. Those are pretty terrifying. So, so far we've got the fact that sororities might be racist, not really a great situation for a woman. Uh, they might get hazed psychologically. Mm-hmm. They could drink too much, have a lot of health problems, suffer bad grades. And then you've got the possibility of date rape, sexual abuse. And when you top that all off, um, you know, getting back to Kristen's heterosexual mating club, you know, there are a lot of formal date nights mixers. Um, so it, it leads to this perception that the sorority girls are just there to find a husband. And in fact, there was a 1991 study conducted by researchers at the State University of New York at Plattsburgh that found that Greek students were more likely to bind to traditional gender stereotypes of men being dominant and women being submissive, and that really their top priority was a good heterosexual relationship. Mm-hmm. So how can this antiquated viewpoint of womanhood ever be a good choice? Well, there has been some research that shows that having these um, kind of established groups of, of sororities and fraternities does help uh, these young adults and, you know, 18 to 22 navigate through these early years of, um, dating. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have more established ways to get to know some, get to know people, learn how to like interact better with people of the opposite sex. Um, and while these, uh, established institutions don't necessarily challenge these, traditional male-female dynamics, it is a, a means of support for a lot of kids. I think that's true. And I think also one one point I mentioned to Kristen is that that same sort of thing, uh, you know, the desire for a heterosexual relationship above all else is, is nothing more than what you find in a Saturday night in a bar now. Right. So it might, like Kristen said, be sort of a good practice grounds for that. Um, the question is, are sororities so catty and so mean that you don't even sort of establish any sense of womanhood? I would disagree with that. Yeah, because there are lots of opportunities for leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, sororities do a lot of philanthropy work. They do a lot of organizing of fundraisers and events. And there are all sorts of positions and posts that members can take. And you meet so many people. And I remember at my college, uh, a lot of uh, the people in the Greek system who are very active in the Greek system were also very active in student government. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem like the ones who were the contributed the most to those aspects of their stories and fraternities uh, were kind of just the go-getters, you know, who could probably be very good role models for younger students coming in. Yeah, I think there have been studies that show that Greek students do tend to be more involved all over campus. They usually have to meet a certain GPA. So it's not like you're just allowed to party all the time and have your grades slide. 
and that's good. I would just say from my own personal experience, it was nice to walk into any class on campus and know someone because you'd met them through your sorority. Um, and I know that's how a lot of people find their first job. So like you're saying, really good networking mm-hmm. is there. Um, and I do think it's what you make of it. We obviously are talking about kind of extreme uh, examples of things leveled at sororities. It tends to make headlines when things go bad as opposed to when things go good. Um, so it's what you make of it probably depends where you are in school, but we did find this really interesting example of a sorority at Trinity College in Hartford. Yes, this sorority is labeling itself as a feminist sorority, which might seem like an oxymoron at first glance, but what they're doing, it's a, it's multiracial and they even have two male members at the time that it was written. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, they're basically trying to kind of redefine what a sorority is. Yeah. Uh, one quote I really liked is that they wanted to reclaim the word sorority in the same way that many feminists feel the word feminist needs to be reclaimed. You know, people have all these stereotypes that we've talked about of what feminism is. And so they wanted to show that this, in the same way, the word sorority really could mean a band of people working together to support each other. Right. And that kind of reflects the entire history of how sororities were founded, because um, women decided to start cr- calling themselves sororities instead of fraternities because they wanted to differentiate themselves as a sisterhood mm-hmm. of women. Right. So, Molly, we got some high points now. And some low, low points. And some pretty low points. So where does that leave us with this question of whether or not sororities get a bad rap? You know, probably any stereotype is a bad rap. I think when you throw the word bimbo after sorority, that's a pretty incorrect thing to say. Um, so I'm going to go behind every generalization is bad. Well, and an- another thing to think about is I think if you ask any girl who has been a member of a sorority, you're going to get a different answer from every one of them. That's true. You know, some people loved it. Some people hated it. Some people like you liked it for two years and then didn't like it for another <laughs> two years. Or just got really busy. <laughs> or just or just really busy, of course, Molly. Um, but I think it's just, like you said, another, you know, one of those things that's going to be unique for everyone. But mm-hmm. I think there is a lot, too, that girls should take into account before they decide to whether or not they're going to rush because there is there's a lot that goes into it there are a lot of social dynamics at work yeah and a lot of things that women need to be smart about in general that's true so on that optimistic note do you want to do some listener mail yes i'd love to do some listener mail molly why don't we change gears for a minute and talk about amy's book list So far this summer, Amy is reading the entire Robot series and Foundation series from Isaac Asimov. And then she has read all of the Sherlock Holmes she can get her hands on. Then she started reading Agatha Christie. uh, And she's read a bunch of other stuff. And on top of reading all of this, she is a big fan of video games. She plays World of Warcraft, which is hooked up to her computer. It is hooked up to a 51-inch TV with surround sound and wireless mouse and keyboard, which sounds pretty awesome. And uh, she just started playing a re-released, revamped version of the original Monkey Island. And she also plays around on her PS2, PSP, games on her iPod, iPhone, and even Facebook games like Mafia Wars. And then on top of all of her book reading, game playing, and podcast listening, and full-time job, she also throws parties, goes to parties, goes to movies, goes out to eat, and takes vacations as much as possible, and tends 
tends to her garden. And when I wrote Amy back, I told her that if there was a mom stuff gold star of woman excellence, well-roundedness, well-roundedness, renaissance gal, Amy, you would get it. Yeah, that is a that's a pretty pretty impressive list of activities, books, and video games. It makes me feel very lazy. But uh, we're not that lazy, Molly, because you and I have a blog. We do. We do. It's called How To Stuff, and you should check it out. It's on HowStuffWorks.com. And if you have any thoughts on sororities, if you are in a sorority or a fraternity and would like to give us your insight on it, feel free to email me or Molly at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. And and you can also read How Sororities Work by Katie Lambert, star of Stuff You Missed in History Class podcast. And that article is on HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.